want to ask you to turn in your notes, if you would, to the second issue of the role of the husband. And we want to begin to walk through some of those things in a practical manner. But let me say this, before we can really understand the role of the husband, we really need to get back to a biblical understanding of manhood. So what I want to try to do, just like we talked about before we can really hit the purpose of marriage, we talked about the purpose of existence, try to challenge individuals on this as well to say, I I really can't teach you how to be a husband before we first teach you what's the biblical understanding of manhood. Because tied to being a husband is understanding what manhood is all about from a biblical perspective. Now, if you're interested in some of these things, some people have asked, um, we have a book my wife and I called Marriage and Family Basic Training Course, second edition. Please, not the first edition. It's not a bad edition, but the second edition is better. Uh, if you go to Amazon and you can look that up, Marriage and Family Basic Training Course, second edition. I, I walk through these things, uh, my wife and I, and we talk about uh, what does it mean to be a sincere follower of Christ? And we kind of build this idea that you can't get to marriage so you first understand purpose of existence, what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what friendship is all about, what dating should be about biblically. And we tie that whole thing to moving from that to then understanding how marriage can come out of those things. And so we just have this process. Then we get into parenting and then we get into abortifacients. Uh, all that, the purpose of life, and uh, just a lot of different things about, um, I think, 14 different sections. But it's on Amazon. It's called, again, Marriage and Family, Basic Training Course, Second Edition, if you're interested. also have a book called Happy Even After that you can get on Amazon. That's for married people. And I did that on purpose because there's no happy ever after. It's happy even after. And for those who are thinking about marriage, I have So You Want to Get Married. So those are some things that just, again, go to Amazon, click my name, and you'll see some of those things on there. And um, I hope that that could be a blessing for any small groups or Bible studies you're trying to accomplish. Um, You're so welcome. God bless you guys. With this in mind, I remember when I was working on my first doctorate, it was at Southern, and I was trying to figure out how, yeah, I have a D-man and a PhD. (laughs) But that's another story. Um... When I was working through that, there was a guy that came in and said, hey, I'm over this place called, you know, I think it was something with Society of Manhood. And I kept asking these questions. I was like, you know, can you give me a definition of manhood? And he started talking about here's what a man needs to do. I was like, I I get it, but can you give me a working definition? And for years, as I would talk to individuals, I could not get a specific definition of manhood. And it really troubled me because I would always hear, here's what a man needs to do. And I would get that, but no one could give me a definition. And as I spent time in research and seeking out wise counsel around the world, what I started to see from Scripture and I started to see in general is that there's a difference between being a male and developing in manhood. You're born one, you develop in the other. We're born male, we're to develop in manhood. You're born female, you're to develop in womanhood. And I didn't catch that at first, and then I start seeing the gap. Because one is a function that's to follow the form. 
And God has set that in order way before the foundation of our existence. And as I saw that, I recognized that as God has given form to male or female, then womanhood and manhood was to follow out of that. The fact that God created us one or the other suggests there's a way of operation. And what I'm discovering is that for a lot of men, they have not understood that by nature of being male, there are certain things about you that were meant to follow and function because of the form that God created you. And without understanding that distinction, then how do you understand what it means to be a husband if you haven't first understood what it means to be male in the developing manhood? Does that make sense? And so part of my challenge, because uh, unfortunately my daughters did not follow the principles. They were in sexual sin, and they ended up having children out of wedlock, and then they came to Christ and got it together. You know, my one daughter, we oldest daughter, we adopted. She was had just come to Christ and was pregnant when she came to Christ, and then she rebelled. Uh, my youngest daughter, I guess, followed suit with her older daughter, uh, oldest, my oldest daughter. And so there was just a lot of challenges we had because of this issue. But through all of that drama, and that's what I call it, because it was a lot of drama, <laughs> God grew us up, God grew my daughters up, and we tell the story of understanding now this order, what it means. So I've got these four grandchildren that I'm trying to teach because let's just say that um, any of you ever heard the theology of the temptations? You know, Papa was a rolling stone. Well, see, their daddies were rolling stones. And so unfortunately, they don't have them. And I'm the only one that they see as their father. And so I'm having to teach them these realities of what it means to be male in the developing manhood so that as they're learning as young boys, they understand what a woman was meant to be in their life and what the women in their lives were meant to be now so that they do something different. But again, the, the reality is the more men understand that, then we can tie in what it means to be a husband. But too often we're trying to tell men, this is what it means to be a husband. But do you know what it means to be male and developing manhood. So I want to try to, again, go from that perspective. And then from understanding that, then we move into then when we look at what it means to be husband, it logically makes sense when you see what God has designed for us as being male and then developing in manhood. So walk with me for a moment in Genesis chapter 1. And let's look at the verse. Two different Hebrew words. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 27. Well, let's go to verse 26 for context, but we're going to end at verse 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. God created man in his own image to... Uh, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And the word I want to hang on is male and female. Y'all see the conjunction? Conjunction, junction. What's your function? Y'all are old enough to know that in this room? What? I go someplace and they look at me like, what is he talking about? And I tell them, Google it, okay? Male and female, okay? Two different and distinct Male and female, he created them. The word I want to focus in on is male. 
And that is in the Hebrew, the word zakar. And so what I wanted to do was to try to help you think through a working definition of male. Because again, before you can defend, you must be able to describe And that is very important. When I tell people, when we do Christian apologetics, trying to show the world what it means to function as Christians, we have to have our words straight and we have to challenge the culture with defining terms so they can be clear about what we're trying to articulate. Does that make sense? And too often we're jumping in without defining our terms. And what I say to men around the country that are Christians, we are the only ones that can show the world what a real man should look like. Because not only did God give us the insight, he gave us the power and he has guided us through scripture on how to walk in a manner of showing the difference between one, I am born male, again, that's my form, I'm to develop in manhood, that is my function that comes from my form. If we could ever truly get that, we can recognize to every man within the world You were a man by distinction, which means you had a operation that is God-given if you choose to accept that mission. But the only way you can cultivate that reality is to surrender your life to the Almighty God so that you can be delivered from the penalty and power and presence of sin and put your faith in the person and work of Christ to where your character will change, your position changes, and you can operate according to the order by which you were created to operate that is stunned by sin. Does that make sense, everybody? So let me give you a working definition. And these words, I want you to put your Berean hat on because every word here has significance And it's something to be scrutinized by you, to be very critical of what I'm about to say. I need you to be very critical. Analyze every word. So as we understand Zakar, and we want to break down the definition of male, listen to every word. A human created by God as a spiritual and physical being. Now, let me just tell you the significance of that. A human created by God as a physical and spiritual being or material and immaterial. Now, the world believes that man is only physical. Okay? They don't believe that man has a spiritual dimension. And because of that, they try to hold the brain responsible for what God holds the heart responsible which is why they misdiagnose problems and call them physical when they're spiritual. Which is why they medicate things that belongs to a Messiah issue of dealing with the heart. They have a presuppositional understanding of man that's inconsistent with the reality of how God created man. Does that make sense? And because of that, when you believe that man is only body and brain, then you keep blaming the brain for things that God shows the heart is responsible and you keep medicating what belongs to the word, what belongs to the Messiah, what can be transformed and helped, which is why mental disorders, people get confused because the world are defining things as mental disorders that are really spiritual issues because of their presuppositional understanding of the nature of man. Am I making sense to you so far? Now, that's important because in our definition of male, we have to call it what God calls it. And we saw in Genesis chapter 2 where God took that which was physical and breathed what? Life. Material and immaterial. So just wanted to break that down, why that's important. 
uh, again, with the unique DNA of what? One X chromosome. Now, what does that mean? If you have a XY chromosome, you be what? Male. Isn't that science? Because they always say Christians are ignorant of science. Well, is that not science? If you don't have XY chromosome, what are you? You be female. Is that not science? So again, just trying to make this clear. Um, Again, unique DNA, 1X chromosome, and the physical distinctives of a penis and testicles for a particular function and purpose in the culture alongside and what? Distinct from a female in all of the creations of God. When we talk about what a male is, we are defining male as that as we look at the Hebrew word zakar. All we've done is talked about the fact of his form. Okay? From his form, there will be function. Now, in most cases, men are born with a penis and women are born with a vagina. In the event there is either or a void of having or in addition to his normal sex organs, a chromosome test should verify the gender because these things happen because of the fall. However, a gender test will evaluate and determine whether it is male or female, the person. Does everybody understand where I'm going logically with that? Now, understanding that just alone says, okay, so then if I'm making a distinction, God made a distinction between male and female by form, we are recognizing that man is one or the other, male or female, mankind, I should say, is one or the other, male or female, when we talk about male that is distinct and different from female. Now, when I started to look at that, It guided me to understand something as well. There's a word in the Greek called androsome. And I started noticing that androsome, as we're going to look at this in a moment, started to get into more of the function of male versus the, again, form of male. This is where we start to understand the difference between male and manhood. And how many of you know that studying the Bible will kill a good sermon? Does anybody know what I mean by that? See, some people come to the Bible with their preconceived notions of what they're going to say, and they try to pick out scriptures to say versus actually studying the Bible to see what the Bible says and saying what it says. It's the difference between exegesis, which is taking out, and eisegesis, which is trying to force something there. Okay? And what happens sometimes, people will take a text out of context. And when you take a text out of context, you get a con. Always remember that. Okay? You always need to put the text in the context. So 1 Corinthians 6.13, I want you to turn there with me for a moment. And it began to unfold something that I had to study the text and the context or I would have got in trouble. I was going to this particular men's conference to preach And I thought, wow, this would be a great thing to preach. But I had to keep studying the context or I would have got in trouble and said something that the text did not say. Look at 1 Corinthians 6.13 for a moment. And the Greek word that they use here is the word androsome. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, he says, Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. What did it say next? Act like what? Men. Be strong. Now, 
that's good to talk to men, but the context is not just men here. The context is the entire church at Corinth. So if we study this one, the context, what he was saying in acting like men, he used the Greek word androzome. And here's what's interesting. What he was telling the church is when a male functions according to his role in manhood, there is an aspect of manhood that a man should function in, and that is an aspect of having courage. So what he was telling the congregation was when men function as they're supposed to function, they are operating in courage. I'm asking you as a congregation to act like men. In other words, to act in the form of courage that men who function accordingly should have. Does that make sense? But the reality was he was showing us an evidence of some of the things as male form and function, one of the things that should be given or should be operating in manhood is a man having courage. Now, I want to define what that means in a moment, but the reality is men who operate the way God designed for them to operate, operate in courage, and the church is to take that aspect and to have it as far as, and as their practice. Does that make sense so far? You you got him with me? If you take it out of that context, then people who don't agree with us would take that and say, see, it's telling me to act like a man. And so you're now contradicting yourself because the Bible tells me to act like a man. Why can't I not act like a man? No, 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 no. That's not what the Bible said in that context. The Bible is telling you, woman, that as men should have courage... I want you to have courage as that is an aspect of a man walking in manhood. Are you with me so far? So with that in mind, let me give you a working definition of courage, which is, again, how men are to function in their manhood. It is the mindset, the manner and movement that correspond distinctly to a male in form and function. What does that mean? The mental and moral strength to resist opposition handle danger or endure hardship while operating in a mindset, manner, and movement that is distinctly male, glorifying to God, and beneficial to others. To have firmness of mind and will in face of danger or extreme difficulty while operating in a mindset, manner, and movement that is distinctly male, glorifying to God, and beneficial to others. In looking at that, that exposes to us That when a man functions in manhood, one of the things that we must see in his life is this aspect of courage. And courage has to do with a mental ability to do what they were meant to do, which we're going to see in a moment, in such a manner that they're not running from danger, they're working through danger. They're not running from problems, they're working through problems. You know, women, sometimes you're like, I don't want you to fix it. I just need you to listen to me. You ever said that before, women? Part of the DNA of men is to fix, to resolve. That's part of the thing. That's the thing that God meant for us to do. We weren't meant to run from stuff. We were meant to run to it and to address it. And we'll talk about what that means more specifically in a moment. But this idea is that as a male, there was something that God designed us to do in function according to the form, and part of the function is to have courage 
and operating in some specific ways. Now with that in mind, let's take a look at some of those specific ways that correspond back to Genesis when it said let them rule, etc., etc., etc. We read a little bit of that. But look at this. The duties of a male correspond with how he was created by God from the beginning to function. So think about this. Men are responsible. Look at these words for taking the lead in procreation on earth. Giving life through his seed. What is the key there to what his wife only? Did everybody catch that? That seed was only meant to go in one place and with one woman forever and ever in the Bible. And all said, therein lies the problem. Okay, Part of a man's function, developing in manhood, is procreation. But that is procreation with one woman and one woman only taking the lead in that process to carry that life to birth so that mankind would reflect the character of God through the earth. And we saw that in Genesis 1. Second thing we see is that men are responsible for taking lead in subduing the earth. What does that mean? To govern the earth, stewardship, management, control, and order according to the will of God. Now we know this primarily by looking at Genesis 2. Who did God put in the garden first? So by nature, putting man in the garden first and giving him the directions, what does that suggest? He was to take the, because the woman was not yet created. You see the point. So her coming along to be a helper shows the order by which God designed things to operate where men weren't to lay back and say, oh, I'll get to it in a moment and let the woman take the lead. They were meant to be out front and the women supporting the process. You catch that? We'll discover men weren't called to relax. They were called to work. But that's another issue we're going to get to in a moment. Okay? Amen, lights and walls. Amen, men. All right, just checking. That lazy boy. But anyway, I'm going to leave that alone for a moment. Men are responsible for taking the lead in subduing the earth to govern the earth. Stewardship, management, control, and order according to the will of God. Men were responsible for taking the lead in dominion of the earth. What does that mean? Being a servant leader. Over creation, resulting in exercising his authority, influence, and strength over creation and all who fall under his leadership for the glory of God and the good of creation. In essence, if we summarize this, men are to procreate with spouse only, govern within the realm of authority, influence, and strength given by God, and lead within the realm of authority, influence, and strength given by God. So if we understand this, here's what we're trying to get to. Man's primary goal is not to relax, but to what? Now, let that sink in for a minute, man. Your primary goal is not to chill out, but to work out. God put us in the garden first and primarily developing in manhood is to say, man, I have been made a man male and I am to function a certain way. And in this function, in taking lead in these things, taking lead means that I am to be the first and the last, if you will, to lead or to leave because there's work to be done. I understand the parameters of the work and therefore I'm understanding what that means for me as it relates to every area of my life as it relates to being a man, as we're going to talk about in a moment. 
Man's primary goal is to work for the glory of God. Please hear me well, and this is where we really summarize what manhood from being a male is all about. Men were called not to follow the world's order. What's the next line there, men? But to what? Ding, 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 ding. Set things in order. If you want to understand the essence of being male, God has an order. Man was designed to set things in order, and the helper was to help maintain the order that's been set. If we deduce it down, you were born male, and as a fact of being born male, your function ultimately is to set things in order. Watch this. In all aspects of life, according to who? And the benefit of who? Your leadership was never for you. I I, I try to help men understand this. If you are talking about being a leader, your leadership was never for you. Your leadership was always meant for somebody else, and it was always meant to be a vessel in the hands of God to set things in order that are out of order, to put things in the order that God has set. That is why a man who is out of order can't be a leader because he's not functioning according to the very order that he has been called to set in the lives of other people as they're willing to listen and follow. But that means they are an example and are walking in that order. What does that mean? God has called us as men to order our lives around what he says in our character, in our conduct, in our conversations, in every area of our lives. And as we line up with that order, we are called to help guide others in that order as we set things in order because that's what it's about. And that's not about our leadership. That's about God using us to accomplish a bigger agenda than us. So what does that mean practically? Here's what I told my daughters. I said, let me ask you a question, babies, because y'all know I love you. What changes in my life if you listen to me? And they said, Daddy, can you ask that again? I said, okay. What changes in my life if you listen to me? They said, nothing. I said, what changes in my life if you don't listen to me? They said, nothing. I said, so my leadership is for you. Because whether you listen to me or not, I still have to pay the mortgage. Whether you listen to me or not, I still have to take out the trash. My leadership is not for me. It's for you. I said, now let me take it to a bigger perspective. What changes about the character of God if you listen to him? Nothing. What changes about the character of God if you don't listen to him? Nothing. But what changes in your life if you do? His word is not for him. It's for who? Isn't that interesting? Real male leadership recognizes you're not following me because it's going to do something for my ego. It's God has allowed me to be in a position to set things in order according to his order. You recognize it's his order, and so you're willing to listen to me because what I'm laying down is based upon what he has set, and you're following not because it's about me, but it's because the order God has set for you, and you've put me in a position that you're under my authority, not for me, but for you. 
This is why I tell women all the time, you got to be careful who you decide to put yourself under. You got to understand if he doesn't know what it means to be a man, then he's not the one to be your leader. Because here, reduced leadership, I'm in charge here. Well, yeah, see, that's the problem. You've been looking to run something versus looking to be under something and set something the way God intended. You don't know what you're doing. And I tell my daughters all the time, now listen to me. Please hear my heart. I love you. I don't want you to be with some man who's on an ego trip that doesn't understand that his role was not for him but for others. Am I making sense to you, ladies and gentlemen? Born male developing in manhood. Men were called to set things in order. Now, if you understand that as a single man, as we talk about the role of a husband in a moment, now it starts to make sense. Well, if as a man I am to line up with God's order, and my whole world is about lining up with that order, and then anyone that is connected to me, my goal is to help them understand that order and help set things in order, then it makes sense what it means to be a husband. Because it's tied to my role as a man. Does that make sense so far, ladies and gentlemen? But let's walk this through a little bit more. Therefore, it is prudent for a man to learn, to live, and discipline himself around the precepts and plans of God. What are the implications of this? Would it be safe to say metaphorically that all men have been placed in some form of a garden? Would that be truthful to say if we use that metaphor? Well, in understanding that men must manage the people within the garden, God has placed them according to the what? Commands of God. Well, if he didn't know the commands, if he's not adjusting his life to those commands, then how can he help those who are under his authority follow those commands? It becomes too much about listening to him and not as much about listening to the Lord through him and what God has given him to set as the order. I tell people all the time as a shepherd, my leadership is not for me. It's for you. And whether you listen to me or not, it's not going to deduce my role. It is meant to be a blessing for you, but it will be a burden, not because you didn't listen to me, But because if what I'm saying is true, there's an order that God has set and he has allowed me to give you that insight. The key is for you to listen, not for me, but for you, because it's for you. Because whether you listen to me or not, I'm going home to spend time with my wife. I've been dying to watch the football game all weekend. And whether you listen to me or not, I still have to take out the trash when I get home. Does everybody understand the reality of what I'm trying to say here? This is where I'm trying to guide men to understand. You've got to see your role before understanding the husband, your role as a man and your function. Being a husband is just another subset of the reality of what it means to be male. You are born male, which means you're developing manhood. And manhood is about understanding there's an order that God set. You line up with that order. You're meant to set things in order, which is why, again, leadership is crucial because you're telling people, here's the order by which we're to operate. I'm here to guide you in that order, not for my ego, but for God's glory and your good. And that takes character development. Second thing we must understand is that men must maintain And manage the possessions within the garden. God has placed them according to the commands of God. Men must maintain and manage the property within the garden. God has placed them according to the commands of God. 
Men must disengage from perpetrators that keep them from functioning within their God-given roles as commanded by God. Men must distrust perspectives that keep them from functioning within their God-given goal as commanded by God. Men must deny passions that keep them from functioning within their God-given role as commanded by God. Here's the key point. A man is to think and reason in a manner that reflects maturity. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. A man is to relate with people and handle circumstances in ways that demonstrate he's no longer a child. The natural tendency of men is to be domineering or passive. Men must fight against these two extremes while seeking to live according to the order set by God as they seek to set things in order as prescribed by God. Again, the book of Titus will give us insight on how to be both older and younger men should function within their body of Christ. But here's the bigger picture. If we deduce manhood to this reality, you will call to set things in order. Now, I've got a 17-year-old, 16-year-old, 10-year-old and nine-year-old grandchild, all boys. And so what I'm doing with them is I'm saying, young men, y'all are in my house because they all live with me. I said, and that's my house. You have certain areas of responsibility. You call it your room, but technically it's my room. And there's certain ways as men, I want you to learn to function in this house. And they say, yes, sir. I said, now, do you see what I see? And they say, no, sir. I say, I see disorder in your room, in that bathroom, and over here. And what are we called to do as men? To set things in order. I said, so guess what you need to get started with? What's that? Your room in that bathroom. Oh, I need to see order around here. I said, we're called to take care of the women in our lives. Should your mother, my wife, your grandmother open the door? No, sir. Then open the door for them. When you see them in need, should you be there? You take care of the women in your life. Yes, sir. I said, what do I see? I see your mama coming in. There's some bags out there. Oh, yes, sir. What am I teaching them? You take care of the women in your life. You set things in order. I said, two things. Take care of the women in your life. Set things in order. That's your job. Now, what do you think is going to happen if they keep that mindset as they grow older? They don't want to see women as objects for personal pleasure. But their sisters and their wives to be taken care of. And there's a certain order by which they're to function. Treat older women as what? Mothers. Younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Well, until we start dating. Oh. So you learn to manage attraction differently. Because I want you doesn't mean I should have you. Because I should have you when we say I do. Until then, you're my sister which means I treat you as a sister until we say I do. Because if I don't, then I'm violating 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm defiling my brother or my sister. Which means I'm not setting things in order, I'm destroying the order that God has set. Are you guys with me so far? Now what happens if young men and young women start to understand this? What happens when we start to think this way practically, when we help men understand this is your role? Now we can talk about what it means to be a husband. Now I've said a lot, a little bit of time. We're going to take a commercial break for just a moment. And I want you to process what I've just said to ask a simple question again. Is this logical? And if it's logical, what is the implication for a husband? And then we're going to come back 
and talk about the role of the husband as we've set the position of understanding the role of what it means to be a man. Okay? Is this logical? Number one. Number two, how does this apply to marriage? All right, take about two minutes. We'll come back. We're going to talk about the role of a husband. Okay, everybody. I'd like you to turn to your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's take a look at verses 25 to verses 31. I purposely wanted us to understand that men were called to set things in order. And it's God's order, not their own, which it explained then what it means to be a husband. But then if we were talking about parenting, would it also explain what it means to be a father? You see where I'm going here? Because it's an extension of understanding their manhood. And their manhood is not so much about it being validated for who I am, but it's operating out according to what God has made them to operate in. And the more men understand that who they are must be wrapped up in what God has already said they are, and they find their assurance in that, they are free to lead, understanding that not everybody's going to follow. And it wasn't their job to make people follow. That's the power of God. Influence is something God gives, not something you can force. People have to decide they're going to listen to you. You can't make anybody listen to you. Is that true or false? And too many men live their lives trying to be heard versus operating as God designed and let God put in their lives the people who will listen. But the moment you believe your job is to make people listen, you're trying to control the uncontrollable. But the moment you recognize I have an order that I am to follow that God has set, and there are people that God has ordained to listen to me, not for me but for his glory and their good. And as I'm faithful to submit myself to that order and to follow that order, there will be people who want to understand because he set it up that way because he said there is a work that he prepared in advance for me to walk therein, and that work will always be tied to people and relationships, which means there will be some people who want what I have to offer. But if my goal is to try to be recognized, I've missed the point of my role as a man. I tell people all the time, I used to focus on people liking me. Now I focus on loving people. I'm more concerned about what's best for you than what you think of me. Because what you think of me may not match what God says about me. Now I'm in a cross. Do I listen to you or do I listen to him? Now what you say and what he says match... And what I'm doing is wrong. I need to confess, repent, and make the adjustment. But if what you say doesn't match what he says, then you have to live with your opinion of me, and I don't. Does that make sense? You'll be up all night. I'll be at home sleep. (laughs) But I'm going to love you and lead you if you're willing to listen. Because my leadership is what? Not for me. It's for who? So I try to tell men, if you stop trying to prove yourself and just be what God made you, you'll find a lot of peace in life. But when you try to prove yourself, you are submitting to someone else's opinions and they can manipulate you because you're too busy trying to prove to somebody at the end of the moment it cares nothing about you and will use that for their own agenda. 
Manipulation is easy. You know why it's easy? Because you like what people are selling. People can manipulate you only when you are selfish. You can't be manipulated when you're not selfish. Because then they can't reduce you to their agenda. And they can only do it not because you're not smart, not because you don't study your Bible, not because you don't understand, but because you're selfish. And the more selfish you are, the more easily manipulated you are. Does that make sense, everybody? The more you walk in truth, the less manipulated you become. Now, understanding that from the perspective of manhood and then being a husband, if we understood manhood, then now we start to look at Ephesians 5 and think about what's being said. Walk with me in Ephesians. We're going to look at verse 25 to 31, and then we'll walk through some of the basics of what that means. In Ephesians 5, 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Now, that's interesting. Just as. Comparison analysis here. Christ was willing to die for the church. But not that the church would be happy in their agenda, but that the church would be what? Holy. Not that the church would have everything they wanted, but the church would operate as God willed. You see the connection there? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that, purpose clause... Not so that she would have everything and feel comfortable, you know, that all thing. Well, if the, you know, if the woman ain't happy, then the house ain't happy and all that stuff we hear all the time. No, the reality is sometimes she has to be mad in order for her to walk in holiness. Sometimes you have to say no because no is better than yes. Because the goal is not that your wife is happy. The goal is that your wife is functioning as God wills. When you aim at happiness in a marriage, you get misery. When you aim at holiness, you get oneness and happiness as the fruit. Christ has asked that a man gives up so that, again, setting things in order for what purpose? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing and the water of the word. Look at this. That means that your leadership... Can't be for you to love a woman this way means that sometimes you might not be liked. And what needs to be done is not because it's about your way or her way. It's about God's standard. And it's saying, here's the order that God has set. We can't or can do this because of what God has said right here. And as a result, we must do what God wants. That's the order that's set before us. I'm the messenger And as the messenger, here's what God wants. I want to say yes to you because I don't want you to be mad at me. But I have to say no because then I am representing Christ in this house. And I'm willing to sacrifice being liked by you because I love you. Or the flip side, I don't want to do this, but I'm willing to do it because I love you. Has everybody seen where we're going here? So that he might sanctify her, cleansing her by the water of the word. Watch this, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be what? Look at this setting things in order. Husbands loving their wives, the role. You can't love someone if you're too consumed with what they are doing for you or not doing for you. 
when you reduce the marriage to you, you can't love. And what you're giving is not love, it's tit for tat. It's reciprocity. I'm only doing this so you can give me something back. And then I'm going to do the Michael Jackson on you. Y'all know what the Michael Jackson is? Do you remember? Right? I did this for you. Now you're saying no. Remember when I did this for you? Don't you remember the time? And then you get historical, not hysterical. Because what you were doing was not out of giving. It was out of trying to gain. Am I making sense, ladies and gentlemen? Look at what it says here. And it says, let's keep going. So that he might sanctify her heaven and cleanse her with washing the word, that he might present himself church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as they own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Now let me explain what that means on a practical level. Well, let me finish the next part, and then you'll, I'll make more sense. For no man has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. When you're hungry, man, what do you do when you're hungry? You eat. When you feel pain, what do you do when you feel pain? You figure out how to get comfort, right? When you're sleepy, what do you do? You don't not look out for your body at any given time. Whenever something's going on with your body, you make sure that your body's taken care of. Scripture's saying, treat your wife the way you treat your body because now you become one. Now, my very first year of marriage, I messed up because I was living single most of my life. I didn't know what it meant to be married. I went to the grocery store, came home with some food, but guess what I came home with food for? Just for? My wife said, you didn't bring me any food? I said, for what? My brother put his head down. You know I messed up, didn't you? You knew it, right? I said, for what? She said, well, you didn't call the check. Why should I call? You could have went to the store if you wanted some food. Contradiction of what I just said here, right? I've never done that again in 26 years now. But what was the point? I didn't realize that being married meant that you don't just think about yourself. Whatever you're going to do for you, you consider doing that for the one that you're married to. It was a valuable lesson when I read that passage and understood it practically. Anything I do for myself, and they'd always think, would my wife want this? Guess what I do now every time I'm at the store? Amen. All the men said, call. That's right. It used to be, I'm going to just bring guys to the house. We're going to hang out, you know, not check with the wife. I'm just come, Y'all come up to the house. Guess what I do now? Hey, uh... Is this acceptable time? Do I need to take them somewhere else? Blah, blah, blah. Why? Because she is my body, I'm her body. In other words, whatever I should do for myself, I'm going to do for her. That's what that text is talking about. No man has ever hated his own flesh. When you're hungry, you feed yourself. When you're hurt, you look out for yourself. When you're sleepy, you you go to sleep. When you're dirty, hopefully you take a bath. I'm going to just say that. But the idea is whatever you've done for yourself, you would do for your wife because you're now one. Practically understanding what this love thing is and no man has ever hated his own flesh. But you put that together and it closes with this. He says, so husbands also ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we're members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, 
and the two shall become one flesh. You can't do that if you don't understand that your role as a man is to set things in order. What is the goal of all of why this person with this wife is to do any of these things? Is it for himself or is it for her? If we look at the passage, the ultimate goal is that she functions according to the order in which God designed for her to function. And he has allowed you to be in her life as a gift to help her to operate in a manner worthy of his will. How can you help her operate in a manner worthy if you don't know it and you're not functioning in it? Then you can't lead to accomplish the agenda of setting things in order. Now, everything I just said, if we talked about parenting and a father, would it not be the exact same thing that he's meant to do with his daughter or his son? Because it's an extension of the fact that he is born male and must develop in manhood, which is about setting things in order. But he must live by the things that are set. If I had time to talk about womanhood and the role of a wife, you would understand. And then the job would be for her to maintain the order that's been set because he can't do all of that. That's why he needs help. My wife is the greatest administrator I think there's ever lived. And of course, I'm going to brag and say that. I'm so disorganized. But you'd never know it because she's so organized. It makes me look good. But they're functioning together. I'm the planner. As a church planner, I have 20 years of sermons already developed. And we're near 14. I still have 20 years of sermons to go. I'm the planner. She's the manager. I'm the one that sets things in order. She makes sure the order is managed and implemented. But we're understanding that better now after 26 years. It's taken some time. But what point am I learning? My manhood, my leadership was never for me. And God had to break me. You know, I didn't like humble pie. It's starting to taste good now. I've been eating a lot of it, so I'm starting to like it. (laughs) Now, putting that together, let's take the passage and break down as we close out the role of a husband. Are you all with me so far? So husbands are to love their wives. Let's look at what that means. The meaning of this passage is to self-sacrifice for the benefit, provision, and welfare of his life in all aspects of her life. Again, the member of the family he's to do this with is with his wife. The manner of service as Christ loved the church. The motive behind the service is for what reason? Not that she'll be happy and won't be upset with you and won't fight with you and blah, blah, blah. It's to help her to become holy and blameless so that she may function according to God's design. What is the magnitude of this service to death? Now, it will probably never come to that for you in your marriage. It just may mean you got to get up and take the trash out because you forgot But the idea is you're willing to do this even if it takes your life. How does this look? Considering her interests, concerns, needs, desires, making sure they're taken care of in a way that Christ would do it for the church. Relating with her socially, spiritually, emotionally, and sexually in a manner 
that benefits her and reflects the character of Christ, compensating for her weaknesses in ways that Christ would for the church, leading and guiding her into spiritual maturity by helping her to be all that God designed her to be in a way that Christ would do it for the church, leading one's wife as Christ would lead the church in all aspects of the marriage. If we were to teach single people what it means to be men and what it means to be women, and when to listen to someone and when to lead someone, do you see what would be different about marriage? If we were to start with teenagers, young adults, and begin to help them understand what male and manhood, what female and womanhood is about, what that means in a dating or relationships, what does it mean about connecting with the opposite sex, what does it mean about setting things in order, all of these things could make a difference. Because now we're showing and helping them to see biblically the reality of what this should be about. Now, a long time ago, as I was working through this, I thought is amazing, and I do this with men a lot when I go on retreats. We have job descriptions for everything in life, but we never thought about having a job description for being a husband. And so when I'm discipling men who get serious about change, I say to them, what if you were to study the scripture from Old and New Testament and see all of the places where it talks about what it means to be a husband? Write those scriptures out and look at what it's saying to do. What if you were to put that into a job description? And so years ago, I did that for myself. And it's one I've been using for years. I'm going to show you the job description that I've used over the years. And I've tweaked it from time to time. But looking at scripture, I put this together and it's something I still operate by. And as my wife sees fit, I can have a review (laughs) to see how I'm doing. But I want you to look at some of these things. And here is how it goes. Position, title, husband, head of the family, purpose of the position, to lead, love, feed, watch over, protect, serve wife and those of the household, reports to Jesus Christ, elders of the church, accountability couple, relates closely with wife, mother, father, mother-in-law, father-in-law, responsible for leading family in the direction designed by God for this family, uh, set an example for God in living, establishing a system for discipling the family to spiritual maturity, providing financial provision to meet the basic needs of the immediate family and household, Establishing guidelines and goals for every aspect of life in the home that are according to God's standards and God's design for the family. Providing and supporting, uh, providing support and service to all members in the household in order that they may live out the purpose God designed for each individual in the household. Protecting the family against hurt, harm, and danger. Providing sexual fulfillment to the wife unconditionally. Continuing responsibilities, assisting in handling responsibilities. Tracking the spiritual growth of the immediate family and household. Honoring, praising, showing appreciation to my wife on a consistent basis. Establishing, providing opportunities for family fun, fellowship, and travel. Seeking to constantly understand who my wife is, typo, and how to serve and honor her accordingly. How do we measure how I'm doing? What skills are being developed in my life and family? What needs am I meeting for my wife, children, and others right now? What commitments am I keeping? What household responsibilities am I maintaining? What social events slash hobbies are we uh, have been involved in? Uh, what? Oh man, this is in my way here. What trips have we taken? What level of spiritual maturity is found in my family? What burdens are we bearing and needs are we meeting from one another inside and outside the family? What have I protected my family from? What financial provisions are being made for my family? 
How much debt are we going into? How much debt are we coming out of? What goals have we set and accomplished as a family, as individuals in the family? What souls have been saved as a result of our family? What lives have grown to spiritual maturity as we go to my family? I eat a lot of humble pie and it's starting to taste good. Because I'm having to look at that to see where I'm falling short, where God has allowed me to grow. But it's been a constant job description to say, as one that God has called to set things in order, I've got to adjust to that order. And where I have fallen, I have to make confessions and not excuses. My mother brought me up on this simple model that I really appreciated. She said, son, every excuse is a great excuse, but no excuse is acceptable. And you guys know that's true. Every excuse is a great excuse, but no excuse is acceptable. So instead of making them, why don't we make confessions, accept God's forgiveness, and get up and grow instead of sitting down groaning and moaning? We have work to do. And I want to encourage you guys that a lot of the issues that we have are beyond our control. But the things that we do have control over, we need to be faithful and watch God work. Now, I hope this has challenged you because what I've tried to do in two sections, before we talked about the purpose of marriage, I wanted you to see the purpose of our existence. Before we talked about the role of a husband, we had to talk about the role and what it means to be male in the developing manhood. Do you guys see the correlation there? And what I've tried to do with my congregation, with teaching this course, marriage and family course, is to challenge people to think this way. Because too often we walk into counseling, you need to be a husband. And the Bible says, yeah, that's true. But do they understand how being a husband is tied to the form and function of male and manhood? And maybe they don't even understand that they're called to live by an order and to set things in order. And they don't know their role. Maybe they are trying to validate their manhood instead of operating their man. They might not even know what that is. I always tell people, be careful of telling somebody, be a man. They may not even know what that means. And I tell women all the time, be careful of man up. Do you know what it means for him to man up? Do you know what it means to be a man? Do you know what it means to be a woman? Have you distinguished between uh, being a female and developing in womanhood? Or are you trying to reduce him to what you think a man should be? And since he doesn't know, he's trying to follow and it doesn't work because it's not God's order for you or for him. We have to get back to God's word. Amen.